Today we're going to be digging into uh, uh, the Word of God from 2 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there as we hear from the Word of the Lord. Uh, as you're turning, uh, I want to say good morning. I want to introduce uh, myself to you. I'm Jason. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Covenant. We're so excited to have the opportunity uh, to worship with you uh, and to hear from the Lord together. We know that uh, uh, the Word of Truth is, uh, is powerful and it supplies us with, uh, with wisdom and guidance on how we can live and walk in the way that leads to life. And so, brothers and sisters, we're going to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5 and following on through verse 11. We'll hear from the word. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of God offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we come before you in this space and time anxious to hear from you. Thankful for the movement of your Holy Spirit in our midst. As we worship you, we offer ourselves to you. And as we come into this time of teaching, Lord, we're prepared as empty vessels to be filled up. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I made a, uh, a tremendous error, it seems. Uh, I fell into a, a trap uh, of, of binge watching uh, this week. Have any of you seen Yellowstone? I mean, it, it just sucked me in and hooked me, and I was hook, line, and sinker uh, drawn into Kevin Costner's epic masterpiece. And, uh, and, and in the midst of, of Yellowstone, there's, there's uh, a character that seems to constantly be losing his way, uh, uh, having no sense of who he is uh, in relationship to the world, in relationship to his family, and, and even a, a, a false sense of who he is internally. His, his name is Jamie. He's one of the sons of uh, John Dutton, the main character. And, and, and he goes through this, this, uh, this roller coaster of, uh, of relationships and error and, uh, and trying to find his way. And ultimately, uh, he, commit, uh, he, he considers ending his own life. And as he finds himself in that dark moment, he has to go back to the beginning and start fresh at the very bottom of, 
of what it means to be a part of this family and to be a cowboy. And so he is charged with the, the low man tasks of feeding and caring f- for the livestock and animals. And his, his brother comes and, and sees him as he's shoveling manure and as he is, is putting out feed for the animals. And in that time, he, he tells his brother, brother, you don't deserve this, but maybe, in fact, you need it. Maybe you need this moment where you could get back to the why of what we're doing. You know, you were so caught up in all of these other uh, pressures and the, and the wars that are surrounding us as a family and, and as a, a ranch. But, but if you would just drill down to, to caring for and feeding these animals, maybe you could reorient your life and find purpose there. And I find that to be a challenge for many of us in this season, particularly with our, with our jobs. Uh, many of us have, have faced uh, challenges in our employment. Some of us have faced job losses. Uh, almost all of us have faced a challenge in defining what, what, what success looks like, what purpose looks like, what effectiveness looks like in this season. Uh, all of us have, have had to re-examine what productivity looks like in this season. And so when, whenever we hear in God's word from, uh, from uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, that, that there is this, this calling into question what is effective and what is productive and what is ineffective and what is, what is, uh, what is unproductive, we have to, to, to be struck by those words. At least I am. Because I find myself wanting to be productive. I desire that with my whole heart, and, and I'm often jealous of those that I think are more productive than me. You know those people with their whiteboards and their sticky notes and their lists. I have a friend who has a, a whiteboard up in their office, and they don't even use the, white or, uh, the, the black uh, dry erase marker on it. They use sticky notes, and they have the, the things we're doing now and the things that we're doing today and the things we're going to do this week. And they sticky note the whole thing as they go, and they start their day with the sticky notes. They pull them down and reorient them, constantly driving towards productivity. Jenny, you disgust me, and I'm envious of your talent for productivity. I, I, I wish oftentimes to be more productive. But in this season, I found myself questioning what does productivity look like? I don't even know what I'm producing most of the time. I'm currently preaching a sermon to a group of people in the room, but I'm also preaching to folks at home online. What am I doing? Am I here or am I here or am I both? And what does productivity look like in that? Maybe some of you have struggled because on March the 1st, productivity was defined in one way in your employment. And on August the 2nd, productivity is defined in another. Or maybe worse yet, maybe some of you have not had your employers or you have not found what productivity looks like on August the 2nd. And so you could feel lost, you could feel empty, you could feel as though you are stumbling in darkness. Effectiveness, I, I long for effectiveness, I long for, for competency, uh, I, I, 
I've told uh, some of my friends in this season that one of the most challenging uh, things about the pandemic for me is that I pride myself on being competent. I, I enjoy being competent, learning new things and learning how to deal with them and work effectively in those arenas. And being a pastor, you're a generalist. So I'm an engineer, an architect, a, a contractor. I, I'm a preacher and a teacher and a pastoral care agent. All of these things are a part of what I do. Uh, Zach's in the back also saying that I play basketball, which I do very well. Uh, but all of these things are challenged in this season, and I don't know what competency even looks like. I don't know what effectiveness looks like. And I yearn for the day when that might be restored. So if you're feeling some of those pressures, particularly in your work life, if you're feeling some of those challenges, challenges on effectiveness or productivity in uh, in your day-to-day -day operations, whether that be in the job you have or in the searching for a job in this season. I think the Word of God has something for us, but it's maybe not what we would expect. It's an entire reorienting of our priorities. It's, it's, it's an altering of our, of our efforts so that we're not focused in uh, and maybe what we once were, but there's a whole new thing for us to put our energies and efforts towards. And when we do, all, all the other things will fall appropriately into place and position in our lives. For when we heard those words in verse 8, of chapter 1 of first, uh, Second Peter, it said uh, that, that these things that we'll refer to in a few moments will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. And those words sparked before us. But then it says something that you might not have expected in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of Jesus I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know that that was possible, you might be thinking. I, I haven't considered that, that I could actually be walking after Jesus, uh, but be doing so in an ineffective and unproductive way, so as to be actually falling off of that narrow path and onto a wide path that leads to destruction. And so, uh, would we reorient ourselves and listen to what the gospel is saying, that, that we want to be, we desire to be effective and productive in our knowledge of Jesus, so that we would have our whole lives centered and operating in one direction. First, let's look at the alternative. The alternative is, is articulated quite clearly in verse uh, 10. Uh, it, it says that if we fail to do these things, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So if you're being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you are stumbling. You are off balance. You uh, don't have your bearing or your footing. You are incapable of being firm in anything. Who likes to stumble? Uh, put it this way. Uh, what's the, the, the first thing that you typically do when you stumble? You stub your, your toe or your foot. 
you're tripping on the things that are supposed to give you motion and the ability to move in our communities and in our lives. And even our feet are getting in the way. You're stumbling over yourselves. And we find ourselves falling in darkness. Stumbling, but, but not just stumbling. What's the other, the, the other alternative to, to, to following these instructions? It's in verse 9. It says, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. And hear this, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. When we're ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we live as though our sins have not been forgiven. What, what, what kind of burden does that become in our lives? If we carry our sin with us, if we, if, we, if we walk as though our sin has never been cleansed, as though Jesus had no power in that arena of our lives, as though we are uh, uh, unable to find holiness and godliness through the blood of Jesus, if we find ourselves sitting perpetually in our sin, we are disabled from moving anywhere forward. We are constantly living in our past. And we are carrying what we were not designed to carry. Because when, when it says, uh, take my yoke, it is easy. When Jesus says, my burden is light, what he's saying is, if you would take on my yoke, I will carry your sin for you. You're no longer required to carry that out in the world because if you tried to, you would be disabled and you would ultimately be ineffective and unproductive in anything you ever attempted to accomplish. So now that we know what the alternative looks like, let's hear the path that is set up for us of spiritual formation. And I'm going to couch it in those terms. Uh, I want you to know that, that this uh, passage of Scripture uh, could be much like the, the, the whole sermon series that we did together here at Covenant on the fruit of the Spirit. Just, uh, I don't know, uh, months turned into years and years turned into decades in pandemic land. So I don't know when we did a fruit of the Spirit series. But whenever it was, this could be that. But, but rather than doing an entire series, we're just going to keep preaching for about an hour and a half and cover it all right now. No, we're going to go through it in a little bit of a whirlwind, but before I do, I'm going to give you a challenge. The challenge is I want you to, to sit with 2 Peter 1, verse 5, 6, and 7 every day this week. I want you to put it into memory. Because it's not just a list of, of, of qualities to seek or to impress upon our hearts so that we live and operate in that way. It's actually a process of spiritual formation where it starts at the beginning and has a, 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 a conclusion that we are to desire. And, and each and every one is interconnected one to another, moving us forward. And if we have skipped something, it will move us backwards. We cannot uh, we cannot 
miss the, that quality. And so here we go in verse 5. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So everything here that we are working to pursue to be effective and productive in our knowledge of Jesus begins with faith. Now, I want you to be thinking as we go through these other things that, that, that sometimes we pursue one of these other things. We might pursue knowledge or we might pursue self-control or we might pursue goodness or love. And, and, and if we pursue those things, ultimately, they will be empty in and of themselves if they're not informed by and directed by faith. And so everything must begin with faith. Because it's the why, it's the why we exist, it's the why we, we, we move and have our being, it's the why we're in relationship with one another, it's, it's the image of God impressed upon us without which we could not have any capacity for good, we would only have capacity for evil. Our capacity to create and to forgive, to love, and to, and to have a, a positive relationships with others all begins with faith. It's the why. Faith, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, faith in his lordship that he would direct our lives and that we would submit to his direction. Faith in, in his sacrifice, in his blood that, that offers us forgiveness from sin that creates a path of righteousness for us in our lives. Faith is the why. It begins this whole path of spiritual formation for us. And it says, add to faith goodness. Goodness is maybe the most... Uh, <laughs> ooh, it might be the most dangerous tool of Satan in this entire list. Because Satan uses goodness to fool us. To say, if you are just good enough, you could earn salvation. Or, if you just focus on goodness, that will be good enough. But goodness without faith will always fall empty. Add to faith goodness. Operate in goodness through your faith, let your faith move within you so that you could, you could desire goodness for others in the world, in your families, in your community, in your workplace, in the world. Add to faith goodness, but, but it doesn't end in goodness either. Some of us operate as though goodness is the end. If, if, if I have faith, then I'll be good, and then good is good enough. It also is not good enough to end in goodness. In a few minutes, we'll see what, what the end goal is, and it's so much more and so much better than goodness. Add to faith goodness, to goodness add knowledge. Knowledge. I think, I think that knowledge is, is, is not just a, a knowledge that is mental ascent, but it's also spiritual ascent. Because think about it, 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 said, it said later on in verse 8 that we are, uh, we are uh, working to to be kept from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. 
It's not just ineffective and unproductive in, our, in, in, in the Lord Jesus. It's in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And our knowledge is both a mental ascent and a spiritual ascent. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're Methodist here uh, at Covenant, and, and our Methodist heritage draws us back to John Wesley. And John Wesley was a man who had incredible mental ascent for years of his ministry as a priest in the Anglican church, operating and leading the people of God. But then he comes to a revelation that he only knew God partially because he had a mental ascent without a spiritual knowledge. He didn't have a personal transforming relationship with Jesus. And so it's both head and heart knowledge. Add to your faith goodness. Add to your goodness knowledge. Add to your knowledge self-control. Self-control, the discipline that life requires. Sometimes we feel like we're, we're operating out of control. We act as though we, we have lost our capacity to make choices or decisions. It's like when I was watching Yellowstone, and, and I, would, I, I knew that I needed to go get crust pizza for dinner. And, uh, and so it, it, was, it was 8 o'clock, and I thought to myself, it's already past time. The episode has ended. I will get off of my duff. I will call crust, and I'll order the pizza, and I'll go pick it up for the family, Right? I'm not the only one that orders crust pizza for dinner sometimes, okay? I see you there, people of God. So I, I, was, I was convincing myself that I was going to do this, and then the, the, the end of the episode left this massive cliffhanger. So what did I do? As any good binge watcher would do, I decided I would just watch the beginning of the next episode. And if I would watch the beginning of the next episode, I would have enough uh, in me fulfilled that I would be able to pause the binge-watching marathon of Yellowstone, and I would go to Crust Pizza, but I did not. I watched the beginning of it. It left another cliffhanger. I skipped the introduction. I watched another 42 more minutes of the episode before I went to Crust Pizza, and I barely got there before they closed. And if I would have gotten there after they closed, what would have, what would have my life been like that night with my wife and my children? Devastating. It would have been awful. Add self-control. Add discipline. We fall into undisciplined habits, rituals, patterns of behavior over and over and over again in our lives. We don't make our beds. We have to be reminded to brush our teeth, children. We hit the snooze button one too many times. We don't go to bed when we know we ought. We plan to, to, to read the word of God in the morning, but yet we find ourselves desiring sleep a little more than we desire God's word. We think that we're going to spend 15 minutes in prayer just listening to what the, the Lord has for us today, and yet we decide that that 15 minutes would be better spent making a grocery list. We are an undisciplined people. We lack self-control. And so when we, when we hear that, that faith leads to goodness and goodness leads to knowledge and knowledge leads to self-control, we can only assume that when we know the Lord God Almighty with our heads and our hearts, we will desire a disciplined life that would lead us to know him more and more. 
And the more we know him, the more our faith will increase. The more our faith increases, the more our goodness will increase. And the more our goodness increases, the more our knowledge will increase. And it continues. We add to our lives self-control. But get this. You add to self-control perseverance. Because a lot of us can do a lot of things for a short period of time. Those Lenten sacrifices of self-control, those 30-day diets where all of a sudden we could become a pescatarian. You could give up beef for 30 days, but can you give it up forever? No, you cannot. Well, I guess some of you can, but I cannot. We must persevere in our self-control. We don't just get self-control and then it, 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 it is fulfilled in our lives. I mean, has anyone uh, begun a, a spiritual discipline or a discipline of any sort and all of a sudden it was just easy? It was just cake? It might have been for a little bit, but at some point it's going to be challenged. And whenever it's challenged, you will learn the discipline of perseverance or you will lose your self-control. And so we add to self-control perseverance, but perseverance then is added upon, and there we find godliness. Some of us might think that once we've arrived at godliness, that would be the end of the list, but the, the list continues from here, so uh, I'll just spend a moment on godliness. Godliness, I would connect to what we worked on last week where, where the Lord, uh, where the word tells us that we are to be holy just as he is holy and that that holiness is about a reorienting of our worldview to work and operate in the world as though we know the living hope we have in Jesus. That godliness is connected to, to hope and connected to the way in which we work and operate in the world. So for us to add upon perseverance, godliness. Godliness is more than goodness. Godliness is not just something that is done from you to others, but it happens in here. It happens here. And it happens here also. To add godliness to the mix then leads us to mutual affection. Mutual affection. To, to have mutual affection is both to be understood and to understand. It's not just a one-sided engagement. Mutual affection is not just you having affection for others, but it's others also having affection for you and your willingness to engage in those hard conversations so, so that it's not just uh, someone telling you what you should be or what you should do, but it's also you having them respect you enough so that they could hear from you as well. There's a, a great debate going on in the NBA about what should happen during the national anthem, and most of the coaches and, and trainers and players have all chosen to kneel during the national anthem, but there have been a few that have made the difficult and unpopular choice in that association of standing during the national anthem. One of them is Miles Leonard. 
but the, the Players Association rep on the Miami Heat came out and, and, and said publicly, it, it would be hypocritical for me to make judgment upon Miles for standing during the national anthem because he has thought deeply about why he is doing that. And our goal in kneeling is to be understood, but what hypocrites would we be if we did not also understand him and what he is doing as well? I was struck by that, shocked by it, because it came in a mutual affection where there was a willingness to listen, to understand, and be understood, and it wasn't a one-sided thing. Godliness leads to mutual affection, and then you add to mutual affection love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith to goodness, goodness to knowledge, knowledge to self-control, self-control to perseverance, perseverance to godliness, godliness to mutual affection, and mutual affection to love. Love as Jesus loved the world, love as Jesus loved loves you, love that is self-sacrificing, that will have a heart shaped and formed for the other above self-love. And so now you hear this movement of spiritual formation that is presented for us, the people of God, the church. I invite you to to, to read it, to, uh, to digest it, to, to impress it upon your heart so that we could grow in that way. But, but I, I don't want to leave it there. I want you to hear that, that, that this is not to be stagnant. This is not to, uh, to, to be heard and then left aside or to be accomplished and to have a box checked that now I have been spiritually formed. So there's two ways in which the word teaches us here. First is in verse 5 and connecting to verse 8. Verse 5 says, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and so on and so forth. That this is constant addition. It is not subtraction. You are perpetually adding, perpetually moving forward. And, and, and if we missed it, it's restated in a new and different way. In verse 8, it says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. In increasing measure, not decreasing measure, not in stagnant measure, not that you ha have achieved it and then you are good enough, but that you are increasingly increasing. And some of you might remember that we're now in a series uh, where, where we are saying, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And we're on the last section of it, that I will give you rest. And you're thinking to yourself, you're now talking, Jason, about ever-increasing measures of engagement in the context of rest. Yes, I am. Because there is not mental or spiritual or emotional rest if we are seeking after other things. But if we are seeking after this 
with increasing measure, we will have rest. There will be peace in us and peace in the way we move in the world. And, and just to hear yet one more way in which Peter articulates this for us in verse 5 and then again in verse 10. The same phrase is used, make every effort. And then in verse 10, brothers and sisters, make every effort. Every effort. Not a limited effort. Not a partial effort. Not the effort that you think you can muster. Definitely not no effort. Make every effort to add to faith goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, mutual affection, mutual affection, love. Make every effort. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that Satan will use every tool to decrease your effort. He will attempt to fool you into thinking that a partial effort is enough or a distracted effort is enough or a limited effort is enough. But for us to be effective and productive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus, for us to know with our whole hearts that we have received the forgiveness of sins, for us to move in the world without stumbling in the darkness, we must make every effort to pursue Jesus in this way. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you with praise and thanksgiving for this, this pathway of spiritual formation that you have laid before us in your word. I thank you for that. I pray, oh God, that you would use this word, that you would use the direction that we have in it to, to guide our hearts, to guide our minds, to guide our day-to-day lives so that we would pursue you more and more. Thank you, O oh God, for your word and for your direction. Help us now to live and operate accordingly. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.